welcome to Simplifying DevOps, a podcast sponsored by CDW. I'm your host, Rachel Leary. This series is dedicated to breaking down the concepts and methodologies of DevOps, as well as the world known as digital transformation. We're looking to cut through the noise and break down barriers of learning for individuals who may not be developers or engineers. Welcome back to Simplifying DevOps. This is Rachel Airy and Mitch Krombach here to talk with Dave Rush, a field solutions architect at CDW, to walk through infrastructure as code with us. Hey, Dave. Hi, Rachel and Mitch. Hey. So, Dave, tell us you know, a little bit about your, yourself and your background. You're one of the newer members to our team. So give us an understanding of, of how you got involved in the industry. Um, sure. Um, you know, I've, uh, uh, I've actually... Uh, I, I've actually been a solution architect for a long time, you know, starting off in, uh, you know, uh, in, in just general software, application software and things like that. But for the last uh, seven years or so, I've been a solution architect in the DevOps area. And that started when I was with IBM. Uh, I was actually a solution architect uh, uh, supporting, uh, supporting uh, some of their uh, DevOps products that they were, uh, that, that, that they were promoting. Um, and then from there, you know, I got, you know, started learning a lot about uh, DevOps best practices outside of the products and, um, you know, started actually, uh, you know, doing uh, some classes with our customers. And, um, and when I, and then later on, I actually left IBM, went to Chef. Uh, I got a, I got a, you know, a heavy dose of uh, infrastructure as code uh, in DevOps uh, practices in, in that particular area. And uh, then, uh, you know, a little bit after that, uh, I became a consultant. Uh, uh, it, even though my title was solution architect, I was really uh, more of a DevOps coach uh, for a very large insurance company, uh, which I would go around to their, to their teams internally and, uh, and you know, uh, examine uh, what they were doing as far as DevOps, uh, see if they had some areas that, that they could improve on. Uh, bring some services uh, to bear on those areas, and since the whole company was uh, was agile, I had a chance to, <laughs> you know, to work with an agile environment, uh, learn a lot about agile, and eventually started doing a little agile coaching with them. And so today, I'm actually a, a certified, a skilled agile program consultant. So, um, so then I joined uh, CDW. I've been a solution architect in the uh, DevOps area, and. I've made it all the way to eight months with CDW so far and having a, having a great time. Awesome. Congrats on the uh, eight month anniversary. Um, <laughs> there you so go. <laughs> you, you are uh, the perfect person to talk to about this subject then. Um, Cause we want to build off of our conversation that we had with Mark Yorko, where we talked about automation in general. Uh, and Dave, when, when we talk to customers, I think for the most part, they get the, idea or are bought in on the concept of automation, but that's Mm -hmm. a very different thing than actually knowing where to start. And Rachel and I have kicked this around and we think infrastructure as code is the perfect place to start. We think it is foundational to a DevOps strategy approach, whatever you want to call it. Can you define infrastructure as code for us? Sure. And uh, let me just uh, confirm, uh, it's been my experience working with a number of different customers that who uh, are very focused on introducing more automation into their environments, uh, that this is the place where they start. Uh, infrastructure as code has been around for a while. Uh, it's basically 
You know, it's managing, uh, it's managing your infrastructure uh, using code the same way you would manage your, your applications, right? So you, you have this code, you know, it's, uh, you know it's, it's very accessible. You can store it into a common area. You can version it. You can do everything you can the same way with application code. And, of course, this code is used to drive automation. Uh, of, 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 of being able to configure and provision your, your infrastructures. At the heart of it, you are writing code. We can call them scripts. I think everyone has a different name for them. Mm -hmm. You are writing code and interacting with the infrastructure through that code. So that's why we're calling it infrastructure as code. Am I, am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. I think Gartner calls it... Uh, programmable infrastructure but <laughs> but basically infrastructure as code has been uh, has been used almost from the beginning uh, of when they uh, when we started to see products uh, you know that uh, actually supported this uh, there's a number of vendors that are that are doing this uh, you know including puppet chef uh, ansible uh, via red hat uh, terraphone terraform uh, HashiCorp, and of course uh, there's also SaltStack. that's kind of the newest one that's out there so yeah from the very beginning it's been a, it's been a few years uh, it's actually been called infrastructure as code yeah and I think it's I think it's interesting to learn that that all of those you know tools uh, as you just kind of listed them off have have come around and they each have their pros and cons uh, on mm -hmm. provisioning infrastructure, but really they're all trying to solve the same issue. And I think it's important to look back on, you know, the way inf infrastructure was traditionally managed, you know, for mm -hmm. say a, a VMware environment that's in a, a data center, you know, the old classic approach was, you know, if you file a ticket, if you need a, maybe a new VM spun up and then someone on the other end of that ticketing queue logs it into an administrative console or some kind of management portal, and then they point and click in order to provision that piece of infrastructure. And that could take, you know, a couple minutes, that could take a couple hours, it could take a right. couple days, depending on, you know, that time frame. but also because a person is doing it, and there's not necessarily one way to provision a VM, you get a, a big grayscale of possibly how effective that virtual machine is, or maybe are, are more prone to errors because humans are, are highly fallible. Um, and I, I think that that's always the really cool thing to go back and, and look at and remember is, is what, we're, what we're ultimately solving for. And so infrastructure as code seems to build on that process of automation so that you can create and codify that and then manage that infrastructure like you would code and have more predictability there. Is that what you would think, Dave? Uh, absolutely. Um, sure. You know, it's um, you know everybody gets the idea that you know that you can provision uh, you can pr provision some instance uh, you know very quickly using this automation. But what the real problem that it solves is the uh, the reliability. You know, being able to say you know okay you know what we have a we, we say you have uh, a number of different uh, LAMP servers that are out there. Um, you want to be able to say, okay, what? We don't want to have 20 different versions of a, our LAMP servers. We want to be able to uh, create one version that we're really familiar with and we know how it works and we know what versions of the software that, that's on it. And we want to do it uh, and make sure that uh, that we do it every time we create one of these servers that it's done exactly the same way. So uh, this, so this uh, being able to code that uh, not only supports automation, but it, it supports 
you know, the consistency, which, you know, of if you, if you work in infrastructure, you know how very important that is that you have consistently build something the same way each time so that you can reduce risk, right? And, uh, you know, and it, and it also is, uh, uh, so it's basically automation, you know, to be able to, uh, you know, to do things faster, but also just to uh, create reliability, reduce risk, and in the long run, what happens also with any automation is that there's a cost savings involved as well. Uh, once you have this put in place, you don't need, uh, you know, you don't need the, the human installer as much as, as you did before. Um, that human installer probably has migrated to become one of the, one of the, uh, one of the people that actually create the code, you know, for, for this infrastructure automation. So, so yeah, it's, it, it solves a number of different problems. Uh, uh, you know, within, you know, for traditional ways of, you know, of, of building infrastructure. Yeah, Dave, I think one of the interesting topics we got into uh, with Mark was just what you're starting to touch on was the reduction of risk. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's an important topic we could probably spend time on, but, but also can you expound on um, a little bit of what, Rachel started to touch on was this is a different way of doing things, right? I think when we talk about DevOps, we talk about the people and the processes and this one, I think this one aligns perfectly with what we're talking about. Um, we're, we're, we're talking about infrastructure folks who used to manage infrastructure a certain way and are moving to a different process of managing that infrastructure. Can you touch on that a little bit? Um, sure. Um, yeah, you know, the, uh, it's uh, one of the other things that in, where, where you see this first being used in, in a lot of organizations are the creation of test environments that, uh, that are used to, uh, you know, to test your applications before they actually go into production. Now, so, so, okay, that's a, that's a, that's, you know, that's interesting, but what does it mean? Well, when you're testing, you know, that intensely, um, you need to make sure that you know exactly the state that your application code is in and the state of the infrastructure that it's running on so that when you test and you find problems, <clears throat> you know exactly where to go look. If you know that the state of your, uh, of your, of your testing uh, Apache server is, you know, right where you want it to be, uh, that, you know, that's, you know, that, that's so, so very important. So basically what you're starting to do in that environment is that you're matching up versioned, um, versions of your infrastructure with versions of your application code. And when you actually, you know, uh, you know, when you actually get through testing, you can say, okay, I know that we have a solid product, you know, using this version infrastructure and this version application code in it. So you can go to production um, you know, with, with a lot of confidence, right? You're, you you know, you, you're not going to feel, <laughs> you know, when you go into production, you know, it, everybody's very nervous for a number of days, but, you know, but doing it this way, you feel a lot more comfortable when you do that. So, um, so that was, that, that's one of the things that you can do with this. I mean, there were, it's so very important is that, you know, just being able to match up versioned infrastructure with your versioned application code. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I mean, we hear that as the concept of, 
version control overall. And mm -hmm. often it also involves using some kind of repository where you store and manage those versions. Can you sure. dive into that a bit? Sure, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're going to be storing your uh, your infrastructure code, you know, right alongside uh, using the same repo as your application code. You know, for many customers, that's Git, GitHub, or uh, Bitbucket, or something like that. Uh, and what's really good about that is that uh, you can uh, your your the application folks can actually, you know, a lot of this, a lot of this, a lot of the code that they use in this is very readable. You know, you don't have to be an engineer to kind of understand that you're loading a certain version of Linux, you're loading this, you know, thing called Apache, blah blah blah, right? So you you, it's readable. So the application teams can read this and actually, you know, even verify it for you, you know, and say, oh yeah, this is exactly what we're looking for, you know, in our in our servers, right? So uh, being able to store it in one place, version it, manage it, making sure that it's secure as as well as uh, available, you know, to anybody who wants to to go out and read it and and see what the infrastructure looks like. Dave, it sounds to me like we are asking some of these traditional infrastructure folks to act, correct me if I'm wrong, to act more like developers. Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, this is a transition for the infrastructure teams. Uh, I think we kind of touched on it. We don't, <laughs> but once you have a tool like this, you don't, you don't need uh, you know, the number of people to manage your infrastructure. Um, but it does mean that you're going to have to have uh, some sort of um, background in, in, um, in, you know, it, it, background in, in doing a little bit of programming. Um, you know, but all all the different products, you know, it, it's it's not really hard code to learn. Um, you know, they they call it the DSL domain specific languages. You know, it's all a little bit different between the different products, but it, you know, it's high level enough that it's that you know, after a while, you know, it's not hard to pick up and learn to do. So it's a matter of taking some of your infrastructure people and introducing them to this new language, and you know how the engine works and things like that. And really, uh, it seems scary at first, but you can actually get off the ground fairly quickly, uh, you know, uh, doing it this way. So yeah, it is a little bit of a transition, but. Um, and it is a different way of, of working through things, but you know, there's a, a lot of advantages to this. And before I forget, uh, let me just add one other thing, uh, is that not only does this actually, in fact, all these uh, different products you know, have this, um, not only does it actually build um, your, um, your, your infrastructure for you automatically, but it also, can check for drift. Drift being the difference between the state that you want this uh, particular instance to be in and the state that it actually is. <laughs> you know, it. You know, let's face it. It's one of the biggest problems uh, in doing things the manual way. First of all, it. You know, a lot of times it. It wouldn't be built the right way, but once it was corrected, somebody would go in and make a change. You know, and then all of a sudden, you know, especially in, uh, if, you, if it was a testing server, you know, you would have start seeing problems and you wouldn't be able to figure it out and it would cause everybody a lot of anxiety. So these products also do, you know, they, it detects drift and actually will go out and correct the, the drift for you automatically. Most of these, uh, most of these, uh, uh, you know, these, well, in all the products, you know, this is a continual process. 
in that um, the automation engine is actually going out and looking at the state of your uh, this, you know, using, a, in, in the case of Chef, it was called a, it was called a cookbook, okay? It would take a cookbook uh, and, and, and use that to go out and analyze, you know, the, uh, you know uh, the state of the managed node. And if it found something different, it would correct it automatically. So it not only creates it to the specifications that you want it to be, but it will also maintain that state for you, which is so very important because again, you know, if something comes out of the state that it's supposed to be in, if you're doing it manually, trying to go out and find it, you know, where that problem is. And, you know, it, it, it you know, if you, you know, if you remember the old days uh, of doing this, it's a, it's a very long process in some cases before you actually discover, you know, the defect uh, that was introduced. So, yeah, I mean, this solves, uh, like I said, it solves a lot of problems, uh, for the old, you know, from the old way of the, we used to manage our, our infrastructure. Let's dive into mm -hmm. a little bit more about some of the, the, you know, added benefits that you get from tools like Chef or, or Ansible Tower, because in addition to managing for configuration drift, they also have, you know, the ability to kind of see the state of each environment mm -hmm. quickly. And, and I think that that helps from a, you know, visibility and, and reporting perspective as well. Can you dive into that a bit? Sure, absolutely. Uh, again, uh, these these products all started off as open source, and uh, in fact, I think they're still available uh, in some sort of open source uh, uh, form. Uh, and you know, it's it's a very simple, very simple server that communicates with the managed node, and you know, makes sure that the you know that the um, that the code is used to check for changes and correct for drift, and you know, things like that. Okay, but once you start talking about, you know, hundreds of, of different managed nodes, and in many cases, you know, thousands of nodes. I think uh, when I was at Chef, we had a customer that had 50,000 managed nodes worldwide that they were, they were using, uh, which just blew my mind that, there, <laughs> that you would have that many separate instances. Uh, but I, I guess that's, you know, fairly common uh, these days for big companies. So when you start getting you know, to, to that size, uh, someone coming up, you know, someone says, hey, you know, what about the, uh, what about this particular server we're having <clears throat> problems with in Montreal and so forth? What's the status of that? Um, th that would take some time to be able to see, um, you know, what, you know, to answer that question. So you, you need something more than that. And this is where, you know, they, they have things like, uh, uh, you know, like Ansible Tower is a good example of that. Once you you're once you're using Tower, Tower actually can bring all that information to one place where uh, you could easily see what the state of your of your managed servers and nodes are, right? You know, very quickly. And in fact, you know, you could very quickly see if one had, you know, uh, you know that there was some drift detected, you know, in the middle of the night, you know, you know, it would it would it can do that kind of reporting. So it gives you visibility into um, into all your operations on a very, very large scale. So uh, so I think that most customers start with the open source and then they migrate to this kind of enterprise, um, you know, version of these products, you know, because, you know, once they get off the ground with this, it starts to spread. 
now they're starting now they're the big question is gee how do we manage all this or how do we make sure that all these different uh, things that we're managing uh, we can see the the state of so yeah it's that so basically that's what ansible tower does for you it gives you that visibility on a very large scale of what your state of your infrastructure is yeah that's important david you just jogged my memory especially mentioning visibility mm -hmm. um do, do these tools help with like audits like mm -hmm. i i would imagine that you know the security issues security concerns that the infrastructure folks have to keep in mind uh from an auditing perspective this i mean it sounds like it's sort of made for this as well am i am i on track there uh, absolutely um all of these products also have a compliance piece to them that actually will check the it actually check the state as defined by you know either uh, uh, you know security or maybe uh, uh, corporate standards that are in place you know and make sure that that manage node and I'm, I'm using that term just <laughs> for lack of a better one um, that you know okay are we in compliance with uh, you know with all these different policies that we have in place now that's a little bit different than creating and, and, and configuring uh, you know this managed node so that's why it's, it's almost always a different process that runs um, that checks for state so because in some cases the application developers uh, bust their hearts uh, they forget some of the security standards right and they end up going um, you know, and, you know, so they, they build something that fits their requirements for the application, not necessarily for, for security, right? Um, so it's good to have a separate process that runs that can detect that, um, you know, you're not in compliance with these particular, uh, with these particular policies, record it and say exactly where the problem is, is at, right? So again, it's, it's code. It's something that you can, uh, again, very high level language in which you can put those kind of in, in these kind of um, policies in place. They're actually run as tests, you know, like small little tests uh, that work outside of the, uh, you know, the actual build and configuration engine, right? So it, it works very well together. So you can actually not only see the state of any drift in your managed nodes, but you can also say, oh my gosh, you know what? Uh, we, are, we are in compliance with, uh, you know, with our security policies. And again, be able to, you know, to see that on a large scale. So um, <clears throat> one of the, you know, one of the most scariest words that you could have, you know, in the old days, you could tell to an infrastructure person was security audit, because in some cases, especially if you have a lot of managed nodes, you know, it could be weeks before you actually get through that security audit. But with tools like this, you can, um, because they, they not only, you know, tell you, but, you know, that you have a problem, but they also record the state so that you can actually show your, uh, show the auditors that, okay, you know what, we did have a problem here. We found it, we corrected it. And now, as you can see, we're passing all our security audits. And you can go through that, you know, node by node by node and be through the security audits in a very short period of time. But again, um, you know, to put this kind of automation out there, you know, just, you know, it, it, it's so, you know, besides the cost, besides the speed, besides the configuration consistency, 
and their versioned uh, environments and you know those kind of advantages. Now you can say, you know what, we're building we're building managed nodes that um, that actually are in compliance. So now you have your security people and your infrastructure people working together to come, you know, through code, you know, to make sure that they are in sync and that whatever they're building is is compliant. That's great, Dave. Well, thank you so much. I think that really puts the cherry on top of our, our infrastructure as code Sunday. I, I don't think that we could, you know, really lay it out any better. Infrastructure as code at the end of the day is um, about managing any of your infrastructure and, and utilizing code in order to do that, to increase the speed that you can do that, but also to have more control, more visibility and more consistency throughout your environment so that you can do other more important things. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And now that you said the cherry on top, I'm hungry. So <laughs> I, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to get some lunch after after our, our little talk here. Good deal. Well, thank you for, for coming with us. And uh, this is Rachel Larry and Mitch Krombach from Simplifying DevOps signing off. Thanks for listening with us here at Simplifying DevOps. We hope you tune in for more episodes as we continue to dive down this path of all things DevOps and understand more about the paradigm shift that we've seen revolutionize the IT world.